Well, hello there. It's another weekend update. I'm Jim Harrington. And I am Bill Knight. Glad to have you on board today with me, sir, as we slide into the weekend. Ah, uh, yes. The key word there is slide. You know, I it sounds so graceful. It sounds it sounds very me, you know. The epitome yeah. of grace. Well, uh, <laughs> What was that? What was that line from uh, from Mash? One of the final episodes, uh, where he said, "You know, sometimes you got to." The, the psychiatrist said, "Sometimes you just got to take your pants off and slide in the ice." I'm like going, "No, you don't." <laughs> oh gosh, no! no I was that so, would hurt. I miss, that would hurt a lot. I miss that episode. I miss that episode. Hey, um, I think we should start this uh, weekend update off with a with a smile, don't you think? Uh, I think we need to start it with uh, uh, a, a little audio cut of our vice president, oh. our second in command, oh. and some words of wisdom. wisdom. Yes, listen. Well, I think culture is, it, it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And, mm. and, and present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And... And we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment. That is a reflection of joy, because uh. you know, it comes in the morning. <laughs> we, have, we have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of just having language and 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 a connection to how people are experiencing life. And I think about it in that way too. You know, if you look at the other two people, the other two people on the stage, the other two people on the stage, their eyes are crossed by the time that question is answered. It's like, what you say? It comes, it comes in the morning. You know, I get up to, I don't know, go to the bathroom and nature calls. But, you know, the, I, a, a song went off in my head. You know, when she goes, oh, it comes in the morning. All of a sudden, I saw flashes of the Gap Man early in the morning. You Remember have spent, you must have had a restless night's sleep. I'll tell you, you are in a rare mood this morning. <laughs> Holy, the Gap Man. You saw visions of the Gap Man. Holy oh, smoke. I saw all kinds of visions. I mean, I, I when, she, when she said it, the, the first thing I thought of was Diana Ross and touch me in the morning. That's it. You know, I'm well, more gentle, you, can... you know. In a serious note, when... Uh, Jen Psaki was the spokesman for the White House and was somewhat articulate as opposed to uh, the lady that we have today who is a deer in headlights, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But when she was asked about cluster bombs, she talked uh -huh. to them as being uh, vile and uh, something that uh, was it goes against uh, every law. I mean, she really just tore it down on from behind the podium. Cut, yeah. cut to this week. You know what they're doing this week? You know what the Biden uh, administration aren't we is doing? Send, yeah, we're sending cluster bombs because they're doing such a great job there. Oh, absolutely. We're going to give them cluster bombs. Do you know that those cluster bombs, I, 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 I was stunned when I read this. Uh, I think they said they uh, release, like, it was at 72 submunitions or bomblets roughly um, the size of hand grenades, and right. and they sling them over an area the size of four football fields. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. Now, you go to a football game on a Friday night, a good-sized field in front of you, multiply that times four, 
And when one cluster bomb falls, it explodes in the air and releases 72 sub-bomblets that uh, literally uh, annihilate everything within four football fields of an area. That's amazing. It's a shotgun, it's a shotgun shell it, bomb. Yeah, it's like a canister. You know, when, back in the Civil War, they had a canister uh, shell that they used to shoot at the, the oncoming troops when mm -hmm. they were marching across fields during Pickett's charge. They used it when they were maybe a third of the away from them, you know? I mean, they had walked two-thirds of the field. They were close enough. And the Union soldiers fired cluster bombs, which were like tomato soup cans, which literally when you fired it, they went out the barrel and they shredded. And when they shredded, they sent off, it was like a shotgun shell. It yeah. was all these little pieces of metal and, and uh, it, it, it just annihilated uh, the troops. It would take out maybe... 15 or 20 men in one fell swoop. Well, this thing is is that on steroids. These cluster bombs, it's that on steroids. Four football fields of people. And Biden, he seems to just, uh, all of a sudden it was bad last year, but it's fine now. Yeah, well, yeah, it's amazing how that works. But I get the feeling that we are purposely going Okay, well, how, how do we provoke Russia into just making this an all-out war? We want to go to war. Well, what do we got to do? Uh, let's give them cluster bombs. That'll piss them off. You know, yeah. well, how, how far are we going to go well, with do, this? Do you know what they just said? They said now that the cluster bombs have been released, what's next? Are we going to give them uh, limited-yield nukes? Well, we're working our way to it. I think we are trying to provoke them to use the nukes so that, oh, well, now we got we got to... You know, unleash the, you know, let the cracking go, you know? It's what like, is on. wrong with these people? What is wrong with these leaders uh, who are thinking that the possibility of some kind of nuclear confrontation is okay? I mean, there is no scenario where nuclear weapons uh, are a positive thing. Um, mm -hmm. in this, the smallest of them will be devastating. You know, mm -hmm. a small nuclear bomb today would probably be the size of the bomb they used in Hiroshima. The yeah. first bomb we actually dropped. That was a small bomb compared to the stuff we have today. Uh, but anyway, yeah. these people, I don't understand unless they just want us to uh, be diminished in size. Well, there's, there's, there's an ulterior motive. And from our position where we stand... Nobody wins in a nuclear war. The media knows that. You know that. The left knows that. The right knows that. Everybody knows by now you can't win in a nuclear confrontation. Right. So the only way that there's any justification for it is these guys know that they're going to be safe, sheltered in place, and maybe they know who and what's going to get annihilated and who and what's going to survive, and... There, it's all everything. Everything in politics is business, and it's about money and power. So, yep, that's the truth. That's very, very true. And uh, I heard somebody say that they would think that if uh, Russia uses any kind of limited yield nuclear weapon uh, in the Ukraine, that that would be a signal to the rest of NATO to do likewise. The rest of NATO. See, we're not just talking about us with nuclear weapons. You know, uh, England has them. France has them. Uh, Germany has them. 
And we have a lot of people who are being egged on on both sides, mm -hmm. you know? But when you look at the stockpiles, there's two countries that have the stockpiles. Oh, yeah. Even after they did the salt talks, we're still talking over 10,000 weapons between Russia and the United States. Bill, but how many do you need? Really? Uh, I mean, it, it, when we talk about, let's say hypothetically we have 1,000 nuclear weapons. I think we have more than that. Much uh, more than that, you know. 5,800, something like okay, that. Okay, let's say we have 5,800 nuclear weapons. How many nuclear weapons do you need to blow up the world? Well, you, we only needed uh, two to end a war, and actually we probably could have just done it with the one. Yeah. But, um, and and it wasn't, it was, it was new. It, they didn't understand the capacity that it had. They underestimated it, but even so... It is nowhere near the capacity of the ones we have now. And Russia, I think ours might have 25 megatons. They have the 50 and 100 megatons. Do you know when we dropped it on Hiroshima, we really didn't know what was going to happen? We had an idea of what was going to happen. But they weren't 100% sure what was going to be the end result from that uh, explosion. Well, they there was a chance. They didn't know. They were going, you know, there is a possibility, and the scientists all knew it, that they didn't really know what they were messing with, and it could have sat there and just kept totally wiped out our planet and, you know, the universe that we live in. They didn't know. But yet we sat there and said, ooh, we got it. We got to yeah. play with it. Come on, let's go. And then once everybody saw what it did, well, we got to get that too now. You they, know, did, because... they didn't know whether there was a limit to fusion, to nuclear yeah. fusion. The separating yeah. of the atom. They didn't know whether it would stop by itself or whether it would just keep rippling along and splitting. And yeah. uh, I mean, they'll 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 say, "Oh no, we had a good idea. We had tests." Yeah, they may have had some tests with smaller. Uh, I think they had one test. I think they had one mm. test before they dropped it. Uh, and you know, they were different bombs. The one in Hiroshima was, I think, was a big boy in Hiroshima and fat boy. In Nagasaki, they were slightly... Bad boy, they, little boy. Anyway, they were different bombs and different size weapons, uh, and they would they were just giving it their best educated guess when they dropped those things. And, you know, you start dropping a bunch of them around the world now, and it's still a guess. No matter how sophisticated we are, you drop in one area multiple nuclear weapons, you don't know what's going to happen. Well, you know, you know they're talking... You just mentioned that they didn't know where nuclear fusion would end, right? It, right? it could have kept on going forever and ever. How do you know it didn't? You throw a rock into the pond, and where the initial splash is, it's big. And then slowly oh, sure. permeating away from that are the waves that develop. You know, How do you know that what we have already unleashed here didn't send out a little ripple that keeps growing and growing and growing and growing deeper and deeper into space and someday some pissed off aliens are going to land going you screwed up our universe <laughs> i hope to have a weird i hope thought. some i hope some uh, level-headed people uh get a hold of our government and and straighten this thing out before it, it gets out of control because uh you're hearing some people i heard lindsey graham you know lindsey graham wonders why uh the people in south carolina who live just down the street from him uh, we're mm -hmm. boo booing him off the stage. I heard a comment he made about the Ukraine, about uh, how he thought that the NATO members should be 
uh, concerned. And if there's any nuclear weapons that are used, they should do likewise. This guy, in my humble opinion, is a nut. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, God bless President Trump. He he cuts him some slack. Maybe he... He's a nice enough guy to talk to. Maybe they play golf together, and it's fun to go on the golf course course with this guy. But uh, this guy is not to be trusted, you know? No, He's not just at not, all. This is interesting. Uh, there was a good job numbers, uh, relatively good, for June. I think they said there were 209,000 non-farm jobs created last month. 209,000. And everyone went, oh, isn't that wonderful? Now... For the rest no, of the no, story. No, 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 Yeah, they're good. people going back to work. No, 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 no. That would be good, Bill. That would be good. The, the jobs, these non-farm jobs, supposedly are going to illegal aliens. Oh, that's nice. They, they've been counted in this figure. But, you know, the funny thing is, I remember when we were talking about, or the, the, the news was, well, we need them to fill the jobs that we don't want to do. Yeah, and I'm like yeah, going, right. oh, come yeah, on. Right. Gag me. Tell me another one, you <laughs> yeah. know. But okay, you know. Um, anyway, interesting. I got a cut here from Tucker Carlson. It's a little long, but it'll give you a chance to go out and get some breakfast and have a, co- a cup of coffee. He's talking about what happened. He was on with Russell Brand. He has a program. Uh, I think it's called a podcast called Stay Free. Everybody has a podcast nowadays, friend. Everybody. That's true. You know? But uh, Tucker Carlson's on with... Russell Brand, and he's talking about the January 6th riots. And, Bill, listen to this. This will this will knock your socks off, you know? Right. Well, let me just say, one of my children was there working in the building and called me during it um, and was right nearby when Ashley Babbitt was shot. Um, so I was interested in it from the moment it happened. I was appalled by the vandalism outside, by fighting with police officers. I hate violence. From abortion to the war in Ukraine. I mean, I am consistent on that. I'm not a Catholic, but I I share those. I definitely share those views. I'm not for the death penalty. I'm not for killing people. I'm not for hurting people. I'm not for violence. And I and I I've had those views for a long time. So, um, you know, any violence on January 6th, I oppose. I've said that many times. I would was kind of happy to leave it where it was, which is this got completely out of hand. The only reason I ever got involved in commenting on it was, and we did a show that night saying, well, this is awful, right? What happened was the lying about it was immediate. This was a racist, white supremacist insurrection. Okay. There was no indication to this day that race had anything to do with it at all. Like nothing. These are people who thought the election was stolen from them. There's some evidence they were right. We could debate that, but that's what they thought. That's a meaningful thing. If you've got a big population in your country that doesn't believe that your elections are on the level, you need to figure out a way to convince them that the elections are on the level or else you can't have democracy because it's a faith-based system. So that was the first thing I noticed. There was no effort at all to convince people, actually, electronic voting machines are secure, which they are not. By the way, that's a lie. And any country that has electronic voting machines is by definition at risk of having its election stolen. By definition, no country that cared about democracy would have electronic voting machines, okay? First thing. But no one even, and by the way, many Democrats have made that point, not now, but 10 years ago, there was no effort to reassure anybody. They immediately used it as a cudgel to make their political opponents shut up and in a lot of cases to send them to jail. So I noticed this, I'm like, wait a second, nobody here is operating in good faith at all. They're just immediately lying. 
with maximum aggression. And anyone who asks questions about it, like me, and if you could go back and look at the tape, my first five shows on January 6th were like, well, yeah, it's bad, but I don't think you're telling the truth about what actually happened. Shut up, racist! <laughs> what? So that's always the key for me. If It's like an infection. You know it's infected when it hurts. You press it, ah, you recoil. They immediately recoiled when you asked any questions about January 6th. And that was a tip off to me. I mean, I had no thought in my head as I watched this happen on television and in the subsequent weeks that U.S. law enforcement or military agencies had anything to do with it. That never crossed my mind. I never thought there was, it was a false flag or anything like that. I'm not a conspiracist by temperament. I never thought that. Um, and then I interviewed the chief of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sund, in an interview that was never aired on Fox, by the way. I was fired before it could air. Um, I, I'm going to interview him again. But Stephen Sund was the totally non-political, worked for Nancy Pelosi. I mean, this was not some right-wing activist. He was the chief of the Capitol Police on January 6th. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That crowd was filled with federal agents. What? Yes. Well, he would know, of course, because he was in charge of security at the site. So the more time has passed, now it's been two and a half years, it becomes really obvious that core claims they made about January 6th were lies. And my view about events and about people is if you catch someone telling a lie about one thing, the first question you have is what else are you lying about? If you say to your wife, where were you? I was at the grocery store. If you find out she was not at the grocery store, then it raises, okay, Probably not just lying about being at the grocery store, were you? Like, what is this exactly? Why were you lying about that? And that's kind of the way I feel about January. Like, what is this? What, this is, they're clearly lying. That's provable. Why? Um, and, you know, I'm the last person. I'm often accused of being a conspiracy nut. I'm the opposite. I grew up in a very stable country, the United States, in the 70s and 80s, where people didn't indulge in conspiracies because there weren't any obvious ones afoot, right? I mean, we took things at face value. We trusted our government by and large. Um, but in, I, the amount of lying around January 6th, and it was obvious in the tapes that I showed, um, is really distressing. And anyone who's covering for those lies should be ashamed of himself. And that would include almost the entire American media, including Fox News. Um, People at Fox News, Fox News, to its great credit, let me air that, and I'm grateful that they did. But there, you know, there are people there who were mad at me for airing that. Really, why? If if you think I'm cherry picking it and taking it out of context, show me show me where. Uh, and by the way, I didn't make the claim that it was entirely peaceful. It, it wasn't. Police officers were injured. More police officers were injured at the riots in front of the White House the year before, but whatever. All injuries to police officers or anyone else are bad. I'm not certainly not making excuses for it, but I'm asking obvious questions. You said this happened. For example, there was a guy called the QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley. They put the guy in prison for years. There is surveillance tape that they hid until I aired it showing the Capitol Police trying lots of doors, trying to get into the Senate chamber, the sacrosanct chamber that he wasn't allowed to be in, and then escorting him in. And he kind of wanders around like he's taking a hit of mescaline, just kind of, you know what I mean? And like, he says a prayer, he thanks God for the Capitol Police, and then he wanders out. Now, there are a lot of conclusions you could draw from that, but you cannot call that guy an insurrectionist. That's a lie. And by the way, an insurrection is a very specific meaning, and I'm pedantic about words because they're the currency that I trade in. I mean, that's what I do. I use words for a living, so I care about their specific meanings. That was not an insurrection. It was not armed, and its purpose was not to overthrow the government. 
it was it was a spasm of rage that Trump definitely it helped inspire. That's true. And um, at the election results, okay, you know, I, I, I'm not actually for that. I don't think leaders should be making people more pissed in general. Um, but that's what it was. It was not an insurrection. And to put Jacob Chansley, an American citizen, a Navy veteran, in jail for years after he was let into the Senate chamber by uniformed Capitol Hill police officers, and then I play that, and I'm the bad guy? About 95% of what he says there I agree with. The 5% that I don't agree with is at the end when he says about uh, partly inspired by President Trump, and, you know, I, I would submit Trump didn't, didn't inspire this. It was inspired. No, the no. riot was inspired. I say the riot. The demonstration was inspired by the illegality of the elections. It was mm-hmm. inspired by the actions taken by people that we don't know. And your Freudian slip just proved one thing. What's that? You see, if you tell a lie over and over and over again, pretty soon it slips into the fabric of the mainstream. You just said, you know, talking about the the lie, the, whatever. You know, because they've said that over and over and again, and because now you've heard it so many times, just as you're commonly speaking, it slipped into your When I called it a narrative. riot, I called it a riot. Yeah, I called it a riot, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't a riot. No. I mean, in, in, it in, wasn't an insurrection either, but you know, it was a protest. Yep. And you heard them, you heard Tucker say, the Capitol Hill... Uh, chief of police said it was filled with federal officers. The crowd was filled with federal officers. He would know. Mm-hmm. He would know. You know. So uh, it was a good interview. You know. He also talked uh, about uh, with Russell Brand. He talked about. And by the way, Russell Brand's an interesting character. I thought mm-hmm. he was a lunatic leftist uh, as recently as like three years ago, four years ago, and I think he was. I, I think he was one of these uh, comedian actors that was just caught up in his career and he was listening to his friends in the business and he was parroting what they were saying. And then at some point, I think he started to pay attention, probably the pandemic. He started to pay attention to what was going on and the guy has changed. The guy has become a, basically, I mean, he'd probably call himself a, a libertarian, uh, but he sounds very conservative. And he had Tucker on and they were talking about Trump. And yeah. and uh, Russell Brand said a lot of people who listen to my podcast are big Trump fans, big Trump supporters. Listen. Loads of people on our platform absolutely love Donald Trump. Trump, they see him as the solution to America's problems. They see him as the great swamp drainer. It seems you have occupied varying positions on Trump at various yeah. times. Um, where are you on Donald Trump now? And particularly perhaps how that relates to the emergence of radical anti-establishment figures within the Democrat Party, no BRFK. Uh, where am I on Trump now? Why well, I love Trump um, personally. I mean, I made a huge mistake last November in getting involved in American politics, something I've never done before, and making calls. You know, this guy's going to win. I think this is going to happen in this state. Meet your new governor, New York, stuff like. That. And I was wrong on almost every call. I'm not a very astute political analyst. I'm not interested in politics. I never have been interested in politics. I'm interested in ideas. I'm interested in people. Um, and so there's a primary going on in the United States between Trump and a bunch of other people, primarily 
uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, but others, Vivek Ramaswamy, for example. And mm. I haven't said word one about it. Don't plan to. Um, I, you know, I think looking back on this 10 years from now, assuming we're still around, uh, I think we're going to see Trump's emergence as, as the most significant thing to happen in American politics in 100 years because he reoriented the Republican Party um, against the wishes of Republican leaders. Uh, but when I think about Trump right now, so it's July of 2023, you know, I'm struck by his foreign policy views. You know, Trump is the only person um, with stature in the Republican Party, really, who's saying, wait a second, you know, why are we supporting an endless war in Ukraine? And that, you know, leaving aside whether Trump's going to get the nomination or get elected president or would be a good president, you know, I can't even assess that. All I can say at this point is I'm so grateful that he has that position. He's right. And everyone in Washington's wrong. Everyone. Mm. And Trump is right on that question. And it's a big question. That war is reshaping the world. It's reshaping the economy of the world. It's reshaping populations. The ref I mean, I was just in Romania last week, you know, which is, of course, shares a border with Ukraine. It, the, the refugees in that region, the number of people killed in that war, I mean, Europe will never be the same because of this war. And it really matters. And Trump alone among popular figures in both parties understands that and I'm grateful for it. Whether he gets the nomination or gets elected, you know, words really matter. Saying something true out loud matters. And he is saying true things about Ukraine and God bless him. You know, people don't seem to realize that it's not just figures that are changing in the Ukraine. It's the loss of life. It's not oh, yeah. just statistics. There are real young people. I say young people. Most of them are young. Uh, there are some civilians older who are dying. But, I mean, there are people who are losing their lives on a daily basis. Absolutely. It, and we shouldn't be over there encouraging the continuation of this war. It's as simple as that. We yeah. should, If we were the country that people talk about, we would be the country that would be promoting peace and, and a, way, a pathway to peace. And we would be sitting both sides down and trying to get them to shake hands and stop the violence, stop the death. But we have a guy in office who is a selfish, senile guy who uh, all he cares about is power and his money and maybe his legacy. Maybe he thinks he's going to leave something behind that people will believe, a lie that they will believe. Well, and I think he's going to have a legacy, but not the one that he he's believing he's going to have. And... You know, as far as it goes, I'm sure this administration thinks they are promoting freedom, but it's down the barrel of a gun, the, and we're promoting the wrong thing the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So it's really not freedom that we're promoting. You know, he did mention about the uh, popularity of Trump. And, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy is refusing to endorse Trump. Well, you know what, though? I'm going like, you know, you do hear all these people sitting there that will endorse a candidate early. Now, I think Trump is going to reign all the way through. He keeps growing and growing and growing. Oh, yeah. But I think if you endorse somebody right now, you know, I don't think you're doing them a favor or yourself a favor. If anything, you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, it's better to let him do, let Trump be Trump, and then, you know, and let everybody else be everybody else. And when the, when, when the, the storm clears, then you have... 
you've clearly shown that he's the guy. Then you go and get, you know, do, do everything. I but, have a different opinion about that. I just, I, I think that uh, uh, if you have a certain core belief, which McCarthy says he has, and he shares with Trump, he has said it in the past. Then he uh, should. Yeah. Then he should stand up early and often, and he should say often, "I stand with this guy because." You know, the thing about Trump is he doesn't have to. He shouldn't have to convince people that he can do the job. He's already done it for four years under right. an enormous amount of enemy fire. I mean, he's been attacked from all sides, and yet he still got things done in a positive fashion. Now, I'm going to say this up front. I mean, the guy. He does things to irritate people. He's got an enormous ego. He likes to have his ego stroked. He loves to get out there and, and showboat. But the guy is an achiever when it comes to getting stuff. And he's also, by the way, all those other faults aside, he's honest. He says he's going to yeah. do something. He and, does. And it. he does it. But, you know, uh, I'll defend his showboating and ego. I think that, and he's had all of that, and you got to have it to be successful. Oh, yeah. And he is honest. Uh, but having all that with everything that's happened, I see a lot more, uh, you know, um, empathy and humanity in him and, you know, or humiliation. N not that he's been, he's been, he's he's been humbled a little bit, but he's he's not as, Arrogant, as some people like to say anymore. Look, look at uh, Iowa. Wasn't I was just going to say that he was in Iowa yesterday. What did he? And he dropped into a Dairy Queen. Yeah, it's amazing. He dropped in and he walks in. Yeah, you know what? I'll pay for all of this. And he was sitting there handing out blizzards. Which I know. <laughs> I, now they don't make it anymore. One of my, my favorite blizzard. I'll just mention it in case he ever comes to town to make sure that they make him. He'll make him make me one as a tropical because I'll go there and get that damn thing right away. <laughs> You know, he he was shaking everybody's hand. The Secret Service had him. He was standing at the counter, and right behind him was a a half moon of Secret Service people looking toward the crowd. And he was reaching over his Secret Service men to hand them the blizzards and shake hands. Yeah. Now, take that picture, keep it in your mind, and I'm going to give you two other pictures of Democrats. Uh, let's take Joe getting on uh, what are they whatever they call uh, Air the Force helicopter. One? Oh, a Marine well, uh, One, Marine One, Marine One. Yeah, you know. So once again, he's blowing through the reporters, not answering any questions, right. not saluting the Marines, the military, or anything. Yeah, he loves the military. Yeah, he does, and jumps on that uh, Marine One to get the hell out of there. Well, I was so going to ask you about that. I I didn't see that. That, that wasn't Marine One. He was getting on Air Force One, the big one. The seven, if you okay. look at it, it had the big staircase, Bill. He wasn't getting on. Yeah. But listen to this. I saw a close-up picture. Okay. Well, the shot I saw was a wide shot. And he was getting, he was he didn't salute. Like you said, he walked right by the uh, Air Force. It was an Air Force, uh, two soldiers at the, at the foot of the ramp. And they, they were standing at a snappy attention. And he just walked right by him like the he hell with you. He doesn't give a damn about anybody in the military. So if you're a veteran and you served and you're going, no, 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 I got to vote Democrat. Keep that in mind because Trump, at least he supported. He may not have served the way that you did, but he supports you and he appreciates you. And he funded a lot of stuff for our military. Do you remember when he was president, Bill? And he mm. was getting on, like you said, Marine One, President Trump. And the soldier's, the, hat? the soldier's hat flew off his head because of the rotor wash. 
and President Trump stopped, stepped away from dusted he, off. He, dusted yeah, it off. he dusted it off, and he handed it to the soldier, the, the, to the Marine. And you can see the Marine; he's trying to stay at attention, but he he just bent down and took his hat, and he he you know kept the salute and put the hat back on. I thought, my God, this is the human side of this president that people don't seem to. They don't seem to see. I mean, he was handing out, like you said, uh, he was handing out blizzards at a Dairy Queen. But this is not the first time he's done something like this. Oh yeah. Now let's go to let's go take a little trip now in our minds. Okay. And mentally visu- uh, visualize this. Uh, let's talk about Katie Hobbs. Oh, you know, I, she legitimately I, won that election. I right? heard that. I'm not going to play the yeah. audio, but that's nasty. It's nasty. It's nasty. Well, you know, she was at the gym working out, and just thinking yeah. about her working out at the gym is a nasty visual right there. But apparently, mm-hmm. she was leaving. The guy from the Gateway Pundit showed up, and yeah. uh, Jordan uh, Conradson, is that his yeah. name? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, he starts to, you know, throw out questions, and she just whips around, you know, and give it a blinking rest. She doesn't want to answer any questions, and she hurries out to get in her her black limousine that's got the darkened windows because she does not. Now, if she won that thing legitimately, I would have turned around and answered questions if it had been me. But no, 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 no. She doesn't respect anything, anybody. And that told me right there, she's guilty of stealing that thing. Well, she was guilty of manipulating it. Boy, it sure looks like it to me. I mean, I thought about that. It goes back to, remember they had they had an, uh, an accounting of all the votes. They had a ta- retabulation it was the big recount of the Arizona vote, and it showed that there was manip- manipulation, and nothing came of it. That's I could right. not believe it. They had this, and they had this big, big uh, promotion about how they were going to recount the Arizona vote, and it was going to mean so much. And the Arizona Senate was behind it, and they showed twenty-four-hour uh, f- footage of the counting and recounting of the ballots. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I thought. This is just beyond the, the, your wildest imagination. How they can do stuff like this and, and even prove it and yet still do nothing. That election needs to be investigated. And every time that there was evidence there or where they were going to do it, uh, an appointed judge stepped in and go, no, 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 stopped everything. Unbelievable. So, You're so correct. That is amazing. They, you, you would say, oh, this is going to, a judge is going to stop this. A judge is going to stop this. No, 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 no. So that tells you the fix is in. Uh, Do you know the Democrats, uh, speaking of voting, have uh, initiated another campaign to lower the voting age to 16? Now, mind you, Vivek Ramashami, who's uh, one of the Republican candidates, he wants to raise it to 25. And I would submit that 30 is probably a more appropriate age for people to vote because by that time, they got an idea what life is all about. But 25 well, would work, you know? Well, if you can vote at 16, why can't you run for political office or president at 16? Because if you have the mental capacity to do the one, you should be to do the other. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's scientific proof yeah. that people don't even start to get to their mature now, level until 25 years of age. The only argument a lot of people have, and it does sway me a bit, is when they say, well, if they're old enough to go out and fight for their country, they should be old enough to, to be able to vote. And and I do, th- maybe, maybe there should be an exception. Maybe if you are a veteran, uh, that should be the exception to the rule. I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm kind of of the belief. I mean, we need to have a strong military, 
But maybe we need to rethink a few things there. And uh, as far as 16, 18-year-old year kids, oh, God. I don't know that they should really be going to the military to go fight stupid political conflicts uh, because they should be working on their education. They shouldn't be going off to war. Now, if we were in a real war like World War II, mm-hmm. then I would go, okay, the exception Yes, you go down. I think the only thing that should happen is when you become a certain age, yeah, you know, you're on the roster, that's it. I would submit that 16 years of age today is less mature than 16 years of age was 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I mean, my God, I think when you were, if you you go back to the beginning of the 20th century, and you were 16, a lot of those kids were working in factories and working on the farm, and they had to grow up. They just had to do it because the family needed them. Today, with all due respect, a lot of kids who are 16, they, they're just kind of, uh, they're protected. I would use the word coddled. Uh, maybe that's appropriate, but they are, they, you know, they're, they're not uh, put in a situation that others were put into uh, not so long ago. So maybe they're not mature enough yet. No, they're not. And the chemical imbalances in the brain. Okay, let's let's go back to Vietnam. How many 17 and 18-year-old kids went off yep. to Vietnam? They got dropped off in Saigon, and there they sat. And then all of a sudden, with everything that's going on, their minds couldn't cope. And then they were drug addicts. And then they've seen all this stuff that they couldn't put together. I mean, look at... Look at some of the bad things that happened to our kids growing up, whether it's rape or whatever it is, that when that happens, they're traumatized oh, it's, for a life. It's PTSD. It's post-traumatic yeah. stress. So we're okay. You know, I, that's why I'm saying, eh, yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, you know, taking taking a young soul and just throwing them into something that they are not mentally. Well, you know, they do it. Uh, the politicians don't have a problem sending 18-year-olds uh, Well, but they don't the send war. their kids. They don't send their kids. Oh, no. no that's, that, and, well, and, and, it's good for thee, but not for me, you know. Uh, stepping into another area here, you know, a lot of entertainment, uh, a lot of movies have been released, and there, a mm. lot of them are stiffing. A lot of them are very woke, very woke. They've changed traditional storylines to include a, a gay couple, a trans couple. Uh, you know, they've they've tried to, to really wake up. And it's going over like a pregnant pole vaulter with uh, the population. We're just not, we're not going to the movies. Uh, case in point, uh, Disney has invested tens of millions of dollars. Uh, I, when I say tens of millions, I should correct that tens of billions of dollars into these different projects that have failed and failed dismally. And uh, uh, Charlie Kirk, who is uh, on Turning Point USA, was a guest with Megyn Kelly on her podcast, and they were talking about this, and they named a few of the shows and a few of the movies, and here's what they had to say. Disney, uh, Daily Mail reporting on this, is looking at an almost $900 million loss right now, following a series of woke flops at the box office. Um, apparently there's a, 
there's an analysis out there showing that films like Lightyear, in which they decided to make Buzz Lightyear gay, um, The Little Mermaid, which is now woke, uh, I'm trying to get the latest one, Elemental, that's one of the ones that includes a non-binary character, which had one of the worst openings ever, worst opening weekend in company history. We could go down the list. Uh, the people are not buying this content. They don't want this content. And slowly but surely, you know, you have, um, oh, we almost covered this story yesterday. Netflix, which right after George Floyd mm -hmm. created some group that was going to add little addendums onto its movies, like, mm, Gone with the Wind is racist! And which sort of put, contextualize all these old films. It's like, that's a Me Tooer! Uh, that, that division has been eliminated bit by bit. All these media companies are eliminating and big, big tech companies are eliminating their heads of diversity because it's just a wasted position where somebody just glorifies their wokeness and tries to lecture. Yes. So it's failing. It is failing. So a couple thoughts. Number one, streaming itself is, there's two big bubbles that I think are going to pop. The commercial real estate bubble and the streaming bubble. The amount of money that the streaming wars generated or just that they plowed into crappy content, Megan, it's like 99% of it is just garbage. And so as streaming was ascendant during COVID, you had Hulu, you had, which is owned by Disney, you have Disney Plus, you have Paramount, you had Netflix, you had Amazon. They would just pour hundreds of millions, billions of dollars into any and all content they could get their hands on. And a lot of it is just trash. And so they have just libraries of this content that nobody is watching, when in reality, it's kind of like private equity, which is like one in 30 deals actually end up paying the bills. Like one in 250 uh, asset purchases and streaming actually end up generating any sort of traffic or retention. And so they have all this wasted content. But Megan, it's worse than that. It's that they then had, had half of their content allocation had to be in kind of the woke bucket. And I don't know about you. I mean, I, I haven't gone to Netflix on Netflix in a couple months, but like every other show is like some black lesbian in a wheelchair, like protesting <laughs> some injustice. I'm like, I, I don't like I, it's it's just not very interesting to me. Right. Yeah, just like, have oh, a yeah, romantic comedy change. or a drama thriller. Yes. Or just something or like a World War II documentary or I don't know, something <laughs> that just isn't complaining. Right. Like, listen to me complain for uh, 90 minutes. Like, OK, great. Like, I got enough of that. Can I watch so something true. that is like wholesome and yes. virtuous? And even and like the kids notice it. Oh, yes. And it, it, by the way, it doesn't elevate you, right? And that kind of goes back to a theme we're talking about. Do we have things that lift us up where it tries to make us become better humans and, uh, you know, talk about what is good and virtuous and beautiful no. and what is heroic and courageous? And that really is what art at its best should be. And so you look at the box office this week with almost no promotion, total word of mouth. The number one movie in America right now is Sound of Freedom, which is an amazing story about anti-child sex trafficking, beat Indiana Jones, beat all of this. And so Disney's $900 million bloodbath, I think is only beginning. And Bob Iger, who now has reassumed the role of CEO of Disney, has a really tough uh, kind of situation in front of him because he has so many radical employees that he relies upon for graphic design, for screenwriting, that are so all in on the LGBTQ agenda. He has to continue to push content at least out to satisfy their demand. 
And so he has this anchor that he has to just, okay, guys, you know, once every month, we're going to have another gay kissing scene in whatever movie we're doing. And whether it be Lightyear or, you know, we're going to do Aladdin, but this time Aladdin is actually trans. Like, okay, great. You know, how, how many renditions are, we're going to do Lion King, but instead of, you know, the hero's journey, it's really that, you know, they're, they're not allowed to stay in the Great Plains because of climate change. Like how many different political elements can you incorporate in this? And so you're going to see mass layoffs. So there's two big bubbles that are going to pop, the streaming bubble and the commercial real estate bubble. They're both, they've both been created for different reasons. The streaming one, and I, you sh I, I try not to make a habit, Megan, of rejoicing in the suffering of people or companies. I have suspended that rule. I am loving this bloodbath. I love the misery. I love the suffering because Disney, used to be a wholesome family-friendly company that made billions of dollars off of families like my own that I grew up in when my parents trusted Disney. They violated that trust and they deserve to suffer. Yes, I'd love to see it too. I wanna, I wanna correct myself. Buzz is not gay in the remake. Whatever. My team's informing me characters in the remake. They're basically trying to force the gay agenda just like the woman said she tries to do in every Disney film. Then there's um, a movie called Strange World, which centers on a romantic relationship between two male characters. That one lost a staggering $197 million <laughs> at the box office. I mean, that is brutal. So hopefully they'll learn their lesson. You know, the thing that gets me is if you are into films at all, uh, mm -hmm. you can you can produce a nice little movie for between five and ten million dollars, and I can't help but oh, think of how, how yeah I can, well it's it's a lot for you and I, but for a movie these days, uh, it's Nothing. not that bad. Back in 1975, when Jaws was released, they had a budget of three and a half million dollars, and Spielberg went over and ended up being about nine million dollars when he was finished, which was hair pulling out of their head time at Universal Studios because they just never dreamed that a, a movie like this could cost so much money because it was astronomical in 1975. But things have changed. The power of the dollar ha has been diminished. Mm -hmm. And so now, but still, if you shoot a movie between 5 and $10 million, you get a nice picture. You can get a good movie if you have a creative director and a good script, you know? But the problem is... Hollywood doesn't think that way. They, if no, I, they if I were a stockholder, I wouldn't. I, I would. I would be. I would be pulling my money out of these movie studios because they, they don't know how to handle business deals properly. They talk like they do, and they'll tell you uh, they know what they're doing, and you don't. You don't know the movie business. But the key word in the movie business is the word business, and they don't handle it properly. Let me give you an example. This movie that just, just came out, Indiana Jones, uh, they mm -hmm. had a, a budget, marketing included, of $400 million plus. $400 million plus for this movie. This is unbelievable. Yeah, but we could have sent that money to the Ukraine. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Bought him a bomb or two. But the thing is, the thing is, um, it, it, they had a ton of computer animation in it because I'm sorry, Harrison Ford just can't uh, hang on the old vine and swing like he used to in the old days, you know. But right. um, but the things basically it's it's underperforming big time. They were in four hundred four thousand six hundred theaters around the country on an opening weekend. Four thousand. The Sound of Freedom, which by the way Disney had the option to distribute, and they shelved it. Because it was produced two years ago, 
They shelved it for two years. They didn't release it two years ago. And finally, I guess they got permission from a, another studio to uh, release it, Angel Studios. And uh, uh, they released it to, I believe, 2,500 theaters. And they are beating the living daylights out of uh, uh, the Indian, Indiana Jones movie as far as uh, sales. It's just unbelievable. I think I, think I read the figure was like $7,000 per theater. Uh, of of revenue, uh, as opposed to Indiana Jones, which was, I think there was about forty five hundred dollars. That's unbelievable. That's just terrible. They're actually speaking their mind with their dollars. What he said is so true, Bill, about streaming. I have all these channels on my cable. I have HBO. I have Showtime. I have right. I have uh, what is it? MGM Plus. I have Paramount Plus. I have all these wonderful things. You would think that I would never be at a loss for watching something. And Bull. I have the same stuff, and there's crap. nothing there for me. It, do you know, Bill? I, this is no lie. I was going to tell you about this. I've been, I've been spending over the last couple, two or three months, most of my time watching Turner Classic movies because I'd rather watch a, a movie that was shot in 1939 that had a good story. Well, there's no reason you can't take uh, what's you know, something from today and turn it into a good story. But uh, to do that, you got to have your sex scenes. You got to have your woke yeah. scenes and the sex scenes. And or, the swearing. You, know, you got to have a lot of swearing. Oh, in it, you, you know? got to have a lot of that. Oh, and yeah. Somebody's got to show their ass in there, too. <laughs> what happened to theater of the mind? Because, you know, that's what made radio a great thing in the old days. It lost it. They used to paint a picture in your imagination, which is the biggest, most powerful screen in the world. And television can do that, too, and has. But they've lost that art, and that's just a sad thing. You have a bunch of dumb, and I really mean this, a bunch of dumb screenwriters and producers. You know, the screenwriters, they're well-intentioned, but 99% of them today, uh, young people, they don't have a life experience. They think they do, and they'll tell you they do. But they don't have a life experience, and their scripts are... Some of them just I just I saw a movie and I'll say the movie because I would highly unrecommend it even though it got awards mm-hmm. and stuff. Is everything everywhere all, all at once? Yeah. Everything everywhere all at once. I'm sorry, it was ridiculous. It was sucked, huh? Oh God, it was. I I saw it this week and I thought, man, uh, how did they get the budget? And then. I mentioned it to my wife. She said, yeah, but didn't he get a ton of awards? And I thought first, and I looked around. I think some people got even Academy Awards for this thing. And I Mm -hmm. thought it was was ridiculous. Let me tell you something about awards Uh, and anything out there, you know, even social media where you go, oh, this thing went viral. You can buy all of that. You can buy the awards. You could make... You could become an influencer on the internet right now and make a video in your own home. There's a way to do it, and it goes viral. And if you really wanted to sit there, if you didn't mind throwing away a few hundred bucks, you can sit there and instantly make it go viral and buy the audience, and nobody knows the difference. And case in point, you know, people didn't discover Mulvaney just like that no, he bought, actually, he bought some views. He bought some likes. And so don't believe what you see out there is what I'm trying to tell but, you. Well, you know, what's interesting, if I were 25 years old right now, 
never has there been a time that's more uh, exciting for young filmmakers and, and creatives because, like, you can make movies for, for you know, in, in broadcast quality uh, video. Uh, you can add special effects. You can do all this stuff if you're so inclined. You can do it on your on your computer. You can shoot you can it, do it yourself. On your phone. You can do it on your phone. You're exactly right. You can go to you can go over to uh, Walmart and buy the little hand grip thing that that you know has the little access thing that you know can yeah, rotate and bend the phone. Yeah, the yeah. gimbal. It's like a gimbal and sit there. So you're walking around. Uh, or you could put a GoPro on it, and you could mount a mic on it too. So you can walk around with a mini portable camera that shoots 4K, and now yeah. I think they got the 8Ks out they there. Do. I mean, you can shoot quality stuff, drop it into your computer. The software is cheap to edit it, and you've made a movie. And you know what? You don't have to make a big motion picture. Let's just say you do little three-minute things and throw it up there on a YouTube channel, and you get it out there. All of a sudden, and you buy a few views to get it going, then all of a sudden, you just became an influencer, and you're going to make millions. Yep. You know what? I think I'm going to go uh, set myself up and make some <laughs> Hey, you know, I got to tell you, friends, uh, we always promise that these weekend programs will be shorter, and we never come through. I, I, I know. It's I your look, fault, too. You talk too much. You know, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Said the pot calling the kettle black. Um Hey, that was a racist statement. Uh, hey, listen, I want to end with a salute, if I may. Um, salute. Yeah, uh, uh, this is this is a story which broke my heart, but it has to be mentioned because mainstream media won't talk about it. On the 4th of July, a heroic father of three who survived the 9-11 attacks tragically passed away while saving the lives of children whose raft capsized in Lake Michigan. This guy was in his boat. He saw the kids struggling, trying to get back on the raft. Some of the kids went under. This hero, this young hero, 43 years old, he jumped into the water. He rescued the kids, got them into the boat, then climbed back into the boat, and the poor guy, I believe, had some kind of a seizure. They got him back to shore. They tried to resuscitate him, and he died. This is a, guy who, this is a guy who lived... This is a guy who lived through the attacks uh, of 9-11. I believe he was in the towers. And uh, he got through all of that. And you have to wonder, why did he live? Why did he get out? He was on the 61st floor. How did he get out? Why did he live and so many people died? You have to wonder whether there's a connection between his living and the act that he performed on the last day of his life, saving those children. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it, I totally believe that, and I know where you're coming from that. He had a purpose in life. Yep. And once his, his let's, let's just call him an angel, once he did that one thing left that he had to do, Yep. that was it. That's exactly I, right. I firmly believe that. I And, you know, we all can be and maybe are planned angels, and maybe the reason that, you know, some people... You know, you still have you ha you still have a destiny, or your job has been done. Yeah, and you go away peacefully. The guy's name, by the way, was Luke Laidley, Luke Laidley, and uh, maybe over the weekend, if you are a churchgoer, if you believe as we do, uh, you might uh, want to take a moment and bow your head 
and say a little prayer for Luke Laidley and his family because he had three children, a lovely wife, and they're suffering right now because of the act of this hero. And uh, But God bless him. But anyway, this is our weekend update program, a little more relaxed than our regular show. I should remind you that you can contact us by calling our number, 833-538-7868, 833-538-7868. It's mail at itsanotherday.com, mail at itsanotherday.com. I think it's time to bid them a fond adieu for the weekend. Have a great Sunday, and we'll hopefully see you right back here on Monday. Just Hasta la vista. I'm out of here.